Well, well, here we are. Literally, literally the worst possible place I could envision going after work. Couldn't envision a worst, a worst case scenario. <laughs> no, I'm excited though. I was looking forward to this today. I had a fucking shitty day at work, man. Yeah. Uh, well, well, um, actually, shitty is in like we had this. Um, there's this building in downtown Carrollton that burned down. It was called Maguana's Unique Gifts and Flowers, and it's like a little like weird like cute trinket and like flower shop and it like burned to the ground we write their insurance and like we've been having to deal with them this week my mom has had like actually pretty good like bedside manner with them like it's been like chief consoler to them and like you know that was like that store is like they're everything so i was so so it's been there i had a uh, i had a job interview with an insurance company today oh, in, in that interview uh the more they call them more. M O R E. M O O R E. Uh oh, gosh, I thought you were talking about the Moors. You know, no, like, no, but no, no, no I like the, 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 oh, the, uh, the, the, the Moops. Yeah, but I I applied for thirteen jobs during that interview because I was like, I do not want to work in insurance. You know, like being an agent isn't bad because, like, I don't know, like the sales part really isn't bad because you don't get a control rates. So you just like. You know, we write for a lot of companies, so we're just like, here's the price, you know, and I'm like getting back into education, so it's not like I'm, I've been there forever, but like, like for example, working in subrogation, like I interviewed for this job in sub, like health insurance subrogation, which is basically being a bill collector, like finding out like who owes who money, you know, in like health insurance claims, in lots of times where people are like hurt and injured and not good shit, um, so, um, so yeah, no, I don't blame you, man, it's like, you know yeah yeah at some point though you got to make money yeah oh yeah yeah i mean you know i you know work you know well i mean at least you know my boss is my mom and she's like super flexible about shit so you know like whenever i a remote job too so like yeah it's like that would be the best because if i ever go down to see you guys again i don't work on a monday you just easily yeah transfer we'll head down sure yeah no i mean like i kind of like so much of my job could be remote, but my mom is like very like antiquated. She always, she's like every email she reads has got to be printed out. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it, it makes me want to scream. Like literally like we print out the applications, you know, like 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 um, a lot of our companies now have you e-sign like insurance applications. Like when you get new a new auto insurance policy, you had to like click through it and e-sign it. Like it's a, it's a mandatory thing. But my mom, before they e-sign it has this print out the application. And then we have to wait, and when they e-sign it, we have to print out the individual pages and, like, stick them in there and get rid of the other ones. And I'm just like, why don't we just wait until it's done? Like, it's on the internet. It's right there. And the mom's like, well, Russians were able to hack in and do all this. I'm just like, No, like, I, I told her, I'm like, the whole world around us is digital, and we're, like, sitting here, like, we're big fucking dead, you know? Just like... Well, welcome to uh, to Beaumont Reads Wikipedia. After <laughs> that nice, uh, nice long soliloquy. Yeah, it was a pretty soliloquy too. We're recording this a little, a uh, little later than normal. Uh, you know, I, uh, my cousin turned thirty-seven, so 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 very old. You know. Um, oh, I and, thought uh, this was like a little kid. You were like, I have to go to my cousin's birthday party. I thought no. this was like a little kid, like a twelve-year-old kid. No, no, no. See, you're getting the whole story. I remember when I told you that. I was like, I explained the situation. I was like, no, my, my cousin, um, his dad's been in the hospital. He's been sick and no one knows what's going on. And you were like, that's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it went down. Oh, yeah, I forgot. How could I forget? How could you forget? I must have been drunk. I yeah, must were... have been blacked out when I said that. <laughs> speaking, um, of, speaking of blacked out, have you been watching Star Trek Picard lately? I know because I don't have uh I've been watching the newsroom. Oh really? You like you like you yeah. like you some Aaron Sorkin? I do love me some Aaron Sorkin. I you watched like the, last the, one? Tri- you... the trial of the Chicago Seven the other week. Oh yeah. Never that's pretty that's Sasha Baron Cohen, right? We may yeah. have to do we may He's have to do really good. See, uh, that would be a fun series. Like an interesting, like not make fun of like a big like Sorkin series, like a bunch of West Wing stuff and you know, the newsroom and what what did he do recently? Oh, he did um fucking the I Love Lucy documentary or the the movie mm-hmm. documentary with uh, 
Amy Adams playing mm-hmm. Lucille Ball, I believe. Yeah. And he also he did uh he did Sports Night. Uh the social network. Oh yeah. The, Ameri- yeah, yeah. the American president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's done a lot of those historical drama kind of things. Well, the American president is like a prelude to what the West Wing becomes. Right, right. Like a dramatization. It's like the the president isn't like a celebrity. He's like a regular guy. Remember back when like House of Cards was a big thing and everyone was like really into like these HBO shows where like they're, it's, it's all about like a big power struggle. And there are all these scenes where people like, you know, like have leverage over people and try to strong arm them and get them to do things. And I feel like that's gone out of style, like so heavily. Like, like I feel like the, the failure of the final season of Game of Thrones and the subsequent evaporation of everything Game of Thrones from the cultural consciousness. Like remember like before that last season, like there were bumper stickers, coffee table books, t-shirts. And after that last season, like they just disappeared, you know, um, but like, I yeah, mean, like, I, but like, I, I think guess the cultural zeitgeist of the of Game of Thrones really like erupted when South Park did that Black Friday trilogy about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like that was kind of like right in the middle. Like, a yeah, scene. that was right around like the Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. They called it the Red Robin Wedding. Oh, yeah. Like right, right there. But I guess to go back, like, I think there's a lot more like I feel like back when I watched House of Cards, you know, like we were in sort of that state where it's like, yeah, this is better than the West Wing. It's more like cynical and stuff. And now I feel like, you know, people would will move back to something that's a little bit more, you know, um, optimistic and sentimental, like, you know, the West Wing. You know, I think, you know, ultimately it's a better show, um, you know, not, not not just because of that, but I think kind of like right now, you know, sort of like now that those sort of like dark cynical brooding you know hbo shows have kind of come and gone you know yeah i wrote a lot about the west wing and like how it's like uh it's like the the liberalized utopia of what the presidency should be or like yeah like uh liberals are like bad with money so like the president's an economist and like they they are they're bible bashers so this guy's like a devout catholic yeah and like it's all about like trying to make like the president like a super liberal person who is the opposite of every liberal stereotype well he has an appeal to conservative voters you know somebody like who you know like clearly like you know those two qualities are things made to made for him to seem more like folksy and to appeal to Mm -hmm. you know which is weird because he's from new hampshire yeah he is the family, like, there is a real, like, Josiah Bartlett, who, really? who is, like, a founder, who is, like, he's, like, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. So, like, that's where, like, the lineage comes from. So, he, there is, like, actual historical context of the West Wing. Oh, wow. But, like, it really makes you think, like, where does the West Wing universe start? Because, like, they have FDR, and mm-hmm. I think they have Eisenhower. But like right around like the seventies is like where like so, the West Wing, where the West Wing presidency begins. So so is I guess of of huge importance is there like a Nixon, like because that like obviously like added a huge degree of like cynicism and mistrust toward the top of politics with with Watergate, um, and then do you have Reagan, like because I think I'm I think I th- I think in House of Cards Obama was a one term president I think in that Ooh. sort of um, alt history. Because like, in reason. this old history, yeah. it's like it's uh it's the midterms or the midterm years are the presidential election years. So like uh-huh. ninety eight and two thousand two and two thousand six are those uh mm-hmm. are those presidential elections and okay. two thousand two thousand two two thousand four are the are the midterms. Okay. And so uh, I think that one that's super interesting, but uh, yeah. I think that that's a real weird. Thing to think about because i think because it, it talks about former presidents too yeah. and so the show starts in 98 so at least goes into the 80s so i think yeah. it erases reaganism Reagan. yeah but like it makes a uh, it makes you think like what else like do their policies because obviously clinton doesn't exist so like does don't say gay still exist in the west wing universe i don't know like, man do, does monocle does the monocle Lewinsky scandal happen but it happens to the former president i don't because, know like yeah, there's a lot of like weird things. Well, that, and like, I think that. Yeah, and I think like narratively, this is a great example of like threading the needle and having your cake and eating it too, like being able to establish like your own alternative history where people like, like we're asking these questions, but that's because we're like you know like really like picking away at it. But when you're watching the show, it's like sure they can refer back to FDR, you know, you can mm-hmm. do that, 
you know, and nobody really is going to like, you know, pick it apart and like really care. You know, the show's able to kind of like smooth that over with the audience to where you're just so in it, you don't think about it. So, you know, they're able to kind of reference like the, the past that everybody knows, um, but also have their own sort of clean slate, you know, upon which, you know, to tell the story. Well, I guess in like the terms of like the West Wing, like in like 2000, like the year 2000, Reagan is kind of recent history because that's only like, that's only like 12 years removed. It's weird for me because like I remember the 2000 election, like, like in middle school, like in, in just the whole, like the, the length and everything. Um, the ordeal but, of the Supreme yeah. Court. Yeah. And I was born during the last year of Reagan, 1988. And, uh, you know, like to that, like Reagan seemed distant, but like, you know, because I mean, obviously I was, you know around for Reagan for like nine months, you know, obviously I don't remember it, but like, I remember Bill Clinton don't remember George Bush, the senior, you know? <laughs> so like, you know, like the, the, the fact, like, I don't know, like the clarity of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky is still like very prominent. Like that was in my fucking time for kids, you know, magazine <laughs> that they put out, but, uh, but yeah. Um, before that, George Bush, you know, um, my grandfather actually who passed away, uh, recently, um, was the delegate to the Democratic National Convention in 1988. Um, where, um, he helped nominate Mike, Michael Dukakis. Michael, I'm voting for Dukakis, Dukakis. So Donnie Darko. Former, maybe, uh, yeah. former governor of Massachusetts, Michael yes. Dukakis, if you didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, along with uh, Charlie Baker and uh, Ned DeVault Lamont. Patrick. DeVault Patrick and Ned Lamont. Or is he and if you didn't know this, Mitt, Mitt Romney. Oh, yeah. How did you guys elect him? Like, like we were, we elect Republican governors, uh, uh, but like they're Massachusetts Republican is like yeah. what we call them because like anywhere else they'd be like very very like moderate at best. But like Mitt Romney, that's like a real weird one because like, but you do think of him not not as like a Trumpian. Oh senator no, very like much. He so. was like, like anti-Trump, but he's still. I would still consider him. So super conservative like oh, more yeah. conservative than gen than than normal uh massachusetts then, then like then like susan collins or like one of the like he's definitely to like the, the right of like those like typical swing vote like senators or representatives you know um yeah, dude, we, she's Maine. she's Maine. yeah in, in kentucky we have the opposite problem so in the last 100 years we've had two republican governors and they've they both have only been one term um, so routinely, Kentucky has elected like Democratic governors, but has dealt with like a GOP state Senate. And uh, the House was for a long time Democratic because it's very like old school, like like union Democrat, you know, like that kind of quickly eroded away. Um, so now like we, we have like a Democrat, usually have a Democrat executive branch and then, you know, like a, a GOP legislature. So, yeah. yeah. And people want Charlie Baker to run for president, which is. I wouldn't want that. No. Well, speaking of good baseball. Oh, really? Baseball. Well, yeah. speaking of people who ran for president, let's talk about uh, Home Alone too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You ready? Uh, should we Should we get into the the page itself? Yeah. Uh, should we or uh, I guess should we talk about our relationship? I'm gonna go ahead and Google it. But I guess. Uh, uh, so my relationship with this is that uh, with a lot of films, uh, we only had like the sequels, uh, mm -hmm. VHS tapes, because yeah. uh, I didn't learn this until I like much older, but like sequels are cheaper yeah. uh, to buy on VHS. Interesting. Because, yeah. So like we had, you know, Karate Kid Part 2. Uh, we had Home Alone 2. We had uh, Toy Story 2. And like uh, we eventually got... Toy Story the, 2 is uh, superior in my opinion. Like, like Toy Story 2. Oh, but... it's so hard. That's oh, such it... a tough one. But Toy Story 2, I think, poses the most interesting question, you know, like a very essential, like, love-based, you know, because where Woody has to decide of, well, do I want to just, like, be with Stinky Pete and all these people, like, preserved forever, you know, or do mm -hmm. I want to, like, live with Andy and be loved knowing that it's going to end someday, you know, like, 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 like yeah. what an well, adult the, dilemma, you know. The first movie poses the question of, like, life and death, like, what, like, when is a toy alive? And I guess, like, the fourth one reiterates that point. Three of, like, does, when too. Is you know. three, yes but three is different but two yeah. posits the question of his legacy more important than the moment yeah which i think is a really adult theme it is because like yep. that's like not even like i that's not even like a, i'm looking at it like in a broad stroke that is like the the do do i want to spend time with andy for a few more years and i'll know i'll love it 
or do I want to be preserved in this Japanese museum forever? Yeah, because like de- dealing with disappointment learned, too, yeah. like like something that's like you know, like ultimately Woody knows that this thing with Andy is going to like end, mm-hmm. and there's going to be like the, the, this heartbreak and this disappointment, and knowing that that's inevitable, like still choosing love, you know, like like that's uh, that's super adult, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, like posits like loss, yeah, and. Uh, and grief. I think it deals a lot more with grief than loss Except, because like uh, the bear, like the bear villain is like still holding on to like that anger part of like the seven, the seven stages of grief. Like he's so yeah. angry right. because he got left and Jesse in a, in a part was also that, but she like, she's on the other side. She's like the light side of the, the bear. And uh, then there's just the hench baby. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Ken, <laughs> Ken also, I yeah. think, has an insidious role. The Michael Keaton Ken. It's really um, weird. The the buzz, the Spanish Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Oh is yeah. Real, is a real weird movie thing. How about that that new wistful like Buzz Lightyear actual like movie trailer? You know, Pixar is doing like the Buzz Lightyear story. Oh, like hot Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You but know, they've already made a they've already yeah. made a Buzz Lightyear origin movie because they made it was like the pilot movie for the Buzz Lightyear TV show. Yeah, like, but this I is a, this that. this is a full blown Pixar like I guess retelling like I guess a more mature reimagining. I think it's gonna lose sort of the cartoonish aspect and. You know, because they have like a wistful version of David Bowie, you know, Starman playing in the background in the trailer where Buzz like looks up at the rocket and into space. Yeah. Should have used Rocket Man. Yeah. That's like the perfect thing. Like uh, a cover of Rocket Man. They always use David Bowie covers in those songs. I can't believe they use a real David Bowie song. Yeah. uh, Yeah. They did. Well, it was like stripped down to where like you could only hear this is Starman, you know, like kind (laughs) of just singing a cappella. So it sounded really just kind of wistful you know like go like 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 that wistful tone in like old properties is so huge like for an assault, like mm-hmm. like ghostbusters was like that i don't really have much of a relationship with the ghostbusters property really that was a little old for me right i uh yeah i just i just remember like the like the most prominent david bowie like thing i can think of is like in the justice league trailer they used like a cover of hero Oh yeah, and they used another one of "Come Together," like a real nasty, like Zack yeah. Snydery one, like a like even worse than the Aerosmith one, like 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 just this real nasty industrial sounding "Come Together," which is weird because like yeah. nobody knows that that song is about them hating each other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that song is just them like that because I'm pretty sure that's from the White Album. And oh no, that, they- no, that that's the first song on Abbey Road. That's the first time, well, just right after the White Album, which and, they well, well, Which was also recorded. Abbey Road was the last thing they recorded. They recorded Let It Be before Abbey yeah, Road, yeah. though Let It Be was released after Abbey Road. So, but so they like, hate, but, but those, those were yeah. very tumultuous recordings. Like the yeah. White Album is like notorious for like, they almost broke up the White, the Let It Be, George Harrison left the band for yeah. a long time. And so did John Lennon. Sure. Uh, in the, in the, in the Get Back documentary, there's a, is a really harrowing uh, shot of jo- of uh, Paul and Ringo, and then Paul just says, "And then there were two. And then it's just like, "Oh, that's so weird," because those yeah. are the two surviving Beatles currently yeah. at yeah. at time of recording. Hopefully, nothing happens to them. I don't want anything to happen. No, to Paul no. Paul, until Paul, I see Paul, him, but Paul, uh, Paul is my favorite Beatle. So, oh, I, George is my favorite Beatle, but I understand why Paul is yours. Okay, what do you know about me that that you think you do? <laughs> uh, what's your Whoa. relationship with this movie <laughs> all, right, all right so um i um to, to speak to sequels i kind of knew this one like was familiar with this one first then the first one the first one i think just came too early in my life to make concrete memories so i remember when this came out having the vhs and like just getting to know this one more just because i guess it was more recent and then watching the first one after that so my relationship with this developed before the first one so um you know like this like established the classic formula even though the first movie has the classic moments like the like like the classic trap moments like putting the tarantula on marv's face and the scream and that was the sound of the torches coming down the stairs you know and like kind of the 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 bricks and everything um like the blowtorch like all these classic home alone motifs so obviously now i understand why they're kind of done better in home alone one and you know kind of what that movie because both movies are about pretty much the same thing. They're about Kevin's 
you know, fear of abandonment and what he chooses to mask that with. Um, and our connection to Angels in the Outfield, Brenda Fricker, who you like to call Brenda Fucker for some reason. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but, but uh, like um, both of those characters come to represent like Kevin's like, like this is what will happen, you know, if you don't, you know, like come to respect and appreciate your family. Both of these people who've had these like tragedies happen you know, and are left without Are you a talking family. about her and the old man? Yeah, 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 yeah. Her and the shovel guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, both of those characters represent the same thing. You know, we, we kind of undergo, you know, a similar arc where Kevin's like, hey, I'm alone, you know, like, let's like enjoy it. And then like the horrors of it set in, you know, and then, uh, you know, Marvin Harry show up and then he's forced to, you know, set the traps and, and do all this stuff. Uh, so the first one, I get why it's more iconic. You know, because it's just more like solidly done. And this one's just got the New York spin on it, you know, mm-hmm. with like a kid in a big city. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, which is weird because he's not at home at all. No. He's far away from he, I would say he's almost a thousand of miles yeah. away from his house. But, but I will say to, in that respect, I do enjoy this one. Like watching this one just as much as I enjoy watching the first one. It has its share of equally good moments. And I don't think it's bad because it's not as iconic as the first you know it, it it's still good i i also i think i do like this one more than the first one really just because of yeah just because of like uh i love the scene in the toy in the toy um Shunk, two turtle doves that well I, I guess there's no two turtle doves guy uh analog in the first movie like some sort of like adult like because obviously he you know is sort of like a, a positive and you know like a mentor or you know, gives. You know, I would say the old neighbor man in church. That's like oh the, yeah, the has that same scene. I guess. Yeah, can, so I guess he's. I guess they split his motifs into two different characters. Yeah. And, and I think, like, honestly, like the Tim Curry and Rob Schneider, that whole dynamic of the hotel people figuring out what's going on, is more compelling than the story with um, his mom and John Candy. I feel like that's what like seems to like 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 they replaced that yeah. time in the in the store even though they serve different purposes you know like except for hum- actually they serve similar pur- it's humor you, know, you bring in john candy um i think that her and the polka band is like less fun than the tim curry and rob schneider like running around figuring out what's going on you know yeah and they, like, that's they a lot of fun the, they set up the tape recorder like kind of well too yeah uh, we'll get into that but yeah. like that's like a real nice moment but let's get into this to this nice little to this reading. wikipedia page so once again a reminder our we are reading the wikipedia page i've i haven't read this page uh this is our primary text you know we're just going off our memories of the movies at this moment and uh yeah here we go you ready i'm ready home alone 2 lost in new york is a 1992 american comedy film directed by chris columbus and written and produced by john hughes Chris Columbus, director of the first one, um, as well as the first two Harry Potters. So he loves doing his first two movies in a franchise. Sequel to Home Alone 1990 and the second film in the Home Alone franchise. The film stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, Tim Curry, Brenda... Fricker. Yeah, I'm glad you said it like that. And Catherine O'Hara. And like Rob Schneider uh, and Donald Trump. (laughs) I guess we got to throw those in there. Um, like, like both birds of a similar feather. Yeah. Uh, it follows Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin, as he is separated from his family once again on their holiday vacation, this time in New York City. Um, so Hughes finished writing this film by February 1991. So obviously a sequel was greenlit like that after signing, holy shit, a six-picture deal with 20th Century Fox. Damn. That's, that's, a, that's like reminiscent of uh, Weird Al Yankovic signing a 14-album deal. With that, with his record company. Well, and Samuel L. Jackson signed like a thirty-movie deal with Marvel to play uh, Nick Fury too. Mm-hmm. Like, but he's not in every one of those movies. Like, yeah, John Hughes has to produce like all of these movies with 20th Century Fox, now yeah. a subsidiary of Disney. Oh, that's correct. So Culkin's return was confirmed in May, and the rest of the cast lies, was finalized soon after. Principal photography took place between December 1991 and May 1992. Done on location in Illinois and New York, including at the Rockefeller Center and the original World Trade Center. Home Alone 2 Lost in New York was theatrically released in the United States on November 20th, 1992. 
It received mixed reviews from critics. While the performances were praised, criticism was leveled towards its darker tone, which I don't know if I agree with. In use of violence, which I also don't know if I, like, I don't think it's- That's the whole point of the movie. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And like, I don't think it seems darker or more violent than, than the original one. And similarities to the first film, which I get. I the film, yeah, yeah. The film grossed over $359 million worldwide, becoming the third highest grossing film of 1992 after The Bodyguard. What? Oh, wow. That, so that, that was written by Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote Star Wars, um, starring Kevin. Oh, wow. The Bodyguard may have to be a dick because I've never seen The Bodyguard, but. Uh, never either, grossing. too. Yeah. Lawrence Kasdan, writer of Star Wars, A New Hope. And Kevin, Kevin Costner, Costner so, Whitney so he, Houston, yeah, in her yeah. acting debut, Gary Kemp, wow. who was the okay, Bill Cobbs, Bill Never Cobbs, him, yeah. Ralph Waite, who's in a political act, he was in really? the Waltons, he he was John Walton Senior on the Waltons. I know all about that movie. Yeah. The film follows a former United States Secret Service agent turned bodyguard who, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, and Aladdin, which was the second highest grossing film of 1992. Um, the sequel with the new class, Home Alone 3, was released in 1997. Let's not talk about that. Um, anything else, Micah, before we uh, dig into our uh, our uh, PLOT plot? Um, I think it's... I understand the criticism that this that the movie is similar to the first because it does have like a lot of the same beats. Like they, I, like they reuse dialogue a lot too yeah um i don't think this one is any dark i mean maybe like no like maybe like because this, sh- this movie is more at night it's darker i get well and, like, I, and i'm thinking maybe the scene when marv gets shocked on the thing and like they, they like replace him with the skeleton screaming you know which is kind of schlocky you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, 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 it, like like is it that or is it um, is it because the old lady is homeless and so like they deal that, with like homelessness? But but also remember at the very at, at the very end, um, which is but um, Harry pulls out that oily gun and points yes. it at him. So maybe it's that because I don't think that. What, what, it could what, also what, be like there's like a sexual harassment joke in the middle of the movie. Yeah, and it doesn't for have Kevin to try. Do, it doesn't have anything yeah, to do with Donald Trump. Yeah, because Kevin, like, uh, Kevin's trying to get away from them because, like, the two guys caught him. So, like, he pinches, like, a, a lady in the street's ass to, oh. and, like, and, like, says it's, like, Joe Pesci so, like, she can punch him so then he can, like, run Oh, away. yeah! That's, that's, so, like, maybe, like, that's part of, like, the a dark, like, a dark tone, I guess. I, I, I don't know. I, like, I think it's, like, you know. But that's played for laughs. That's not played for like not, uh, not not enough for it to like be in like the opening like stanza of this Wikipedia article. You know, like right. I want to I, I want to go to yeah I, I, yeah I I feel like it's uh I feel I, I don't know I feel like that depiction's inaccurate. I feel like you know I feel like the way that was written it's sort of a result of a piling on like the, people like writing this for like oh yeah this was worse than the first why was it worse than the first well. It was a lot like the first, and but why else? Uh, well, uh, you know, and I'm and I think you know they kind of ran out of ideas and they just said those things because they just seem really hollow to me. You know, what a like not a very fair way to characterize this movie, I, I, I don't think. Uh, all right, I got one from November 20th, 1992. Yeah, uh, I have a feeling that Home Alone 2 Lost in New York is going to be an enormous box office success, but include me out. I didn't much like the first film, and I don't much like this one with its sadistic little hero who mercilessly hammers a couple of slow learning crooks. Nor did I enjoy the shameless attempt to leaven the mayhem by including a preachy subplot about the pigeon lady of Central Park. Uh, I don't think that's too preachy. I think like her life, like you know, like the way they connect is you know, like like I, I think like those relationships, like the, between him and the shovel guy, and um, him and the Bur- him and Brenda Fricker, are like the thematic drivers of this. Like I think they they are what make like the sentimentality like cogent and worthwhile, in my opinion. So, uh, the movie repeats the formula of the best love of the best selling film. Um, yeah, and then it goes in between the painful practical jokes. There's his 
treacly relationship with Fricker as the pigeon lady who shows him her hideaway inside the ceiling of Carnegie Hall. Christmas carols swelled from the concert below as the sanctimonious little twerp lectures the old lady of the meaning of life. If he believes half of what he says, he'd give the crooks a break. Is this a children's film movie? I confess, I do not know. Millions of kids will go to see it. There used to be movies where there where it was bad for little kids to hurt grown-ups. Now Kevin bounces and breaks off their skulls from the rooftop and everyone laughs. Who, who wrote that? Uh, this is uh, from Robert Ebert. Oh, really? Roger Ebert wrote that? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, you know, obviously people I may have respect for him. I think that's cynical shit. You know, I think that, that, that that's very horribly cynical and kind of nitpicking and missing the point. You know, and if, yeah, and if you've seen the first movie, uh, you should be like primed for this. But I guess if you didn't like the first movie, you know, then uh, I guess you know. That's I don't know. I don't know what else to say but fun police. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into the plot, Bo. Let's go. The McAllister family is preparing to spend Christmas in Miami, in Vieto, Miami, Micah and gathers at Peter and Kate's Chicago home that houses, I feel like their entire family, apparently. Like, did it not house, like, Buzz and Fuller and everyone in the first movie? Like, it's a really big, like, suburban, like, like northern Chicago home, you know. I think, that, like, this is not the south side. You know, which was brought up in Angels in the Outfit with the White Sox, mm-hmm. uh, interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, like this is like a big like multi-family home, like you know, like like you know, like this sort of ancestral home. Um, so their um, their youngest son Kevin sees Florida as contradictory to Christmas due to its lack of snow and Christmas trees. At a school pageant during Kevin's solo, I love this scene. I'm glad it's getting its due in this article. His brother Buzz pulls a prank on him, and this prank is whenever he takes the the. Uh, <laughs> The candles that they're holding, and they're singing like, um, no, no, you know, and he, and he holds them up to Kevin's ears. <laughs> and, makes and then he does like a drum solo. Yeah, he does like a drum solo, and then Kevin turns around and just fucking punches him. Um, or no, and Kevin retaliates by pushing him, never mind. Ruining the pageant. Buzz makes a false apology, which a false apology has a, a, a link. It's a blue link. A blue link, a non-apology apology, sometimes called a backhanded apology, non-apology, or faux apology. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but Buzz makes his false apology, which the family accepts, berating Kevin when he says he retaliated for Buzz humiliating him. Kevin insults his family for believing in his brother's lies and for spending Christmas in a hot climate and storms off to the attic, wishing to have his own vacation alone. The next day, the family accidentally oversleeps and rushes to make their flight. So I guess before we do this, I guess I kind of want to stop and say, like, I feel like this sequel, like, you know, a a criticism you can levy at that is that he forgot the lessons from the first film. Right, because I remember one of the quotes from that the mom says is like, well, you got what you want for last last year. Maybe maybe you'll get it again. Like something to like the uh, how dare she? How dare like right? that's like that's like angels in the outfield dad level of like you know right? cow- callousness. You know, like maybe that's like the real link. It's not a. It's not Brenda Furker. It's it's really the the abandonment of parents. It and is like, well, well and it's like you know obviously like in this scene he's being like punished for something like that he was like goaded into. Um, so he's, right, not, like he's he, not entirely at fault because Buzz is like has been depicted in both movies as the asshole, you right? Know? And he's yeah. gaslighting the family. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like no lessons learned, you know. And I think like like that could have been like a criticism. I think you know, like like, like kind of you know, like somehow just you know forgetting you know the character development and the lessons he learns from the old man and and being away from his family and the trauma of the first film but now he's 11 yeah yeah <laughs> which like you know i think you can have your cake like we talked about having your cake and eating it too with the west wing i think you can ha- have a comedy but also like include that sort of like fear and trauma like a little bit like i think you know uh, you know just kind of a movie that was less intent on pleasing people could have mm-hmm. included that but i think this movie is very intent on hitting the beats of the first one and pleasing people which it does very well 
but right. but 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 that's a double-edged sword, as we've said. Um, all right. So um, in the in another class, we're at the airport, which at the Chicago airport, I was there at O'Hare this Christmas, where they had the Christmas decorations down the runway or in the terminal. So like I was able to like be in O'Hare, like because I uh, went to San Diego for Thanksgiving for my cousin's 40th birthday, the same cousin whose uh, father is sick and you insulted, but. Um, Anywho, uh, yeah, um, but I was in O'Hare and saw those Christmas decorations, and um, my other cousin's fiance was like, oh, it's just like Home Alone when they ran to the airport, and I was like, yeah, it is. Um, so uh, a little fun decided to share. But at that airport, O'Hare International Airport, Kevin loses sight of his family and inadvertently boards a flight bound for New York City with Peter's belongings, which is fun. Upon arriving, Kevin decides to tour the city. In Central Park, Kevin is frightened by a stern-looking homeless woman tending to the pigeons. Uh, uh, there's a little bit to unpack there, I think. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, like pre-9-11 security not happening. That, and I think <laughs> having Peter's belongings is fun. That's a, that's a fun twist on the story that he has all of his dad's stuff, like his dad's clothes. Yeah, like his credit cards and his, uh, I think well, it's just like a satchel. It's not like his, it's not like a carry-on. He just has like his dad's stuff and he has like his stuff in it. Cause his dad was just like, yeah, you can carry your stuff. Cause like when you're a little kid, like you, you like want to hold your dad's stuff. Cause like, you're just like, I'll be a grown up. Yeah. And like, and that is the catalyst for, you know, the logistics of the movie occurring that he has the credit card and he's able to bullshit his way into the Plaza hotel Mm -hmm. and uh and to kind of all the anemones that that he gets um but like the fact that he's like really cavalier when he's in new york city and not in miami like i don't know like i i really think that and to go back to the last paragraph like the idea of him just being like miami like it's no sun in christmas street you know like i guess like you can play that office in the last movie he's realized the importance of christmas but like now he's just judging it by its superficial qualities like by and there needs to be snow in Christmas trees. So the theme is lost. Absolutely on that. Um, you know, like I said, this might as well just be a fresh restart, you know, for Kevin's character development. And the first movie, you know, may as well have not occurred from a thematic and developmental perspective there. So I think that's a fair criticism of it, even though it's fun. Um, what do you got? I got nothing. You say everything that I wanted to say. I know, yeah, yeah. I, I won't I won't get out of your head and I'll continue to bother you. Um, so now we're about to have some fun. Kevin goes to the Plaza Hotel and uses Peter's credit card to check in as Peter, his father. Um, I guess we should I also mention in this part, this is where Donald Trump's cameo occurs. Um, mm -hmm. Because I believe Donald Trump owned the Plaza Hotel at the time um, where um, I think Kevin asked like, you know, him apparently masquerading as a random dude. Like, where's the, you know, the, the, the checkout desk? And he goes down the hall and to the left. And that's his line. Um, and so also a, a movie um, from that same era who also has Donald Trump in it cameoing. Uh, the Little Rascals. Did you ever see The Little Rascals? I did. I was, gonna, I was about to bring this up. Yeah, he's Waldo. Waldo, you're, you're the best son money can buy. So those two, you know, he kind of had his one-two punch during those, you know. I feel like Little Rascals is after this maybe a few years, but... Mm -hmm. Damn, did the son of a bitch want to be in movies? I guess so. I mean, like when you're a personality, you kind of just want to be in front of television cameras. And when you're when you're tired of being a personality, you just run for president, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, man, this is a lot longer of an article than uh, Angels in the Outfield. Like this, sure like, well, it clearly is a much more emotionally complex movie. Like Angels in the Outfield is like baby blocks compared to this shit. Well, maybe maybe that there's just more fans who who want to synopsize this better. Well, I think, and also like Angels in the Outfield, you can just distill it down to its very cynical, just you know, ex exploitative beats, you right. know, to like it's sort of like you know, hey, unfortunate people, like randomly something may good happen to you, so keep keep hoping, you know. Um, Anyway, so Kevin goes to the Plaza Hotel, uses Peter's credit card to check in as Peter, his father. Meanwhile, the wet bandits, Harry and Marv, have traveled to New York after recently escaping from a prison in Chicago. I don't know why they why they traveled to New York, other than uh, plot convenience, but cool. Uh, they immediately begin seeking a new target to rob. Um, I guess there's really no explanation that I remember that they're in New York. 
I mean, that's part of this movie is having your cakey media too. That's that. This is a big theme of this episode here. Like you just don't care, you know. You're yeah. just you're just with it, you know. At this point, you know they they know their formula well enough to push the right buttons, and, and then you don't really think about it and uh, enjoy yourself. Um, on Christmas, did you have anything before we uh, dig into uh, two turtle doves? Uh I can't remember a single reason why. Like Kevin is clearly a child, so I don't know. I I don't remember the reason that the staff allowed him to use his dad's credit card in the first place. Yeah, the, like, like, I, I, like he's clearly not Peter. Yeah, like I like I like I think there's some sort of dialogue there. Like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, like, you know, I think and that's like, like parking the car or something. Well, well, and like Kevin's always always has that sort of like wit, smart, like you know, like able to deflect really well. You know, able to kind of like hold his own, like like very street smart, kind of like like in this situation with these people, I kind of know the right thing to say to make them trust me this much, just this tiny inkling to allow me to do this thing. Um, you know, so I, I, I mean, that's just kind of pretty classic Kevin McAllister. Um, right, and this is like 1992. Two. So, uh, so you don't. So Kevin's I, dad just doesn't. Uh, he just isn't able to like go on an app and like freeze his credit card. That and like, identity and the, identity theft perhaps is less of a thing, you know, or less of a prominent thing or an easy. Well, thing when to you're happen. a kid, is it really identity theft? Yeah, like, yeah. Can you be charged with identity theft? Well, when it, you're, it, it, and he has no identification either. Like no one has any idea this kid is Kevin McAllister. You know, right? Like, like he has nothing that says he is who he is. Like maybe like a fucking. I don't know what School he yearbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on Christmas Eve. Um, so we're, we're um, on Christmas Eve here. Kevin visits a toy store, Duncan's Toy Chest, where he meets its philanthropic, philanthropic owner, Mr. Duncan. Kevin learns that the proceeds from the store's Christmas sales will be donated to a children's hospital and provides a donation as a token of appreciation from his dad's money. Um <laughs> His dad may not care about that shit, but by God, Kevin doesn't. But as a token of appreciation, Mr. Duncan offers Kevin a pair of ceramic turtle doves as a gift. I always remember he would say, two turtle doves, instructing him to give one to another person as a gesture of eternal friendship. But after encountering Harry and Marv outside the store, Kevin runs back to the plaza. The concierge, who I believe is Tim Curry. Yes. Yeah, Tim Curry is the concierge, and the bellhop is, is Rob Schneider. Um, uh, the the uh, concierge confronts Kevin about the credit card, which has been reported stolen. So at this point, you know, uh, I, I assume Kevin's dad, like, went to a payphone and called Visa or who the fuck ever he got that credit card from. Um, I think it's a MasterCard. A MasterCard. a point. Yeah, oh, for sure. There's product placement in this motherfucker. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, uh, he confronts Kevin about the credit card, which has been reported stolen. Kevin flees the hotel, but is ambushed by Harry and Marv. I think he's so nice. They brag about their plan to kill him and break into the toy star at midnight. How about this sentence? Just before Kevin escapes amid their encounter with a passerby, I think I think there's your thing right there. I think there's that's sexual the, uh, harassment. the sexual harassment. Oh, wow. Like, Wikipedia is really glossy. Like, it's both trying to make this movie look bad and, yeah. like, not trying, you know, like, not trying to, you know, inflame anything. But, yeah, there's the, the sexual harassment, the booty pinching, as you so eloquently referred to it um, earlier in the show. Earlier, upon landing in Miami, the McAllister family discovered that Kevin is missing and file a police report. After the police trace the quote-unquote stolen credit card, the family flies immediately to New York. Meanwhile, Kevin goes to his uncle's townhouse. So his uncle lives in New York, conveniently, only to find it vacant and undergoing renovations, which I'll stop here. I think the whole, like, vacant under repair house makes, like, adds sort of that whole part of, the, like, adds a layer of fun to that whole part of this to where, like, a lot more destruction and mayhem can occur because it's, like, under repair versus, like, his parents' house, which is, like, decorated for Christmas and you know, actively lived in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It allows for more wanton destruction. Um, 
Where were we? Um, in Central Park, Kevin encounters and eventually befriends the pigeon lady. They go to Carnegie Hall, where she explains how her life collapsed when her lover left her. Do you remember why her lover left her? I have zero remember. Like, it, is, is, is this just like, like, for some reason, I thought there was like some sort of like nod toward like mental illness in there, you know, like some sort of like something that's a little bit more like grounded than just like my love, you know, my love left me and then I just fled to the birds, you know, like I, 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 I feel like there was some sort, some sort of at least nod to that. Um, but obviously, um, this article isn't telling that, so we can't make any assumptions. Um, they go to Carnegie Hall, where she explains her, how her life collapsed and her lover left her. Kevin encourages her to trust people again. That's unfortunate that, like, you know, like, why, like, you know, like, that, 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 that just, like, Kevin encourages her to trust people again, you know, like, you know, what in the previous description that we read makes like you know or primes kevin to like want to trust people i guess outside of the two turtle doves i think like the spirit of christmas always like overwhelms him to like give like sound ethical advice like he gives like the same like kind of ethical advice to the old man with the shovel Mm -hmm. and he's just like you should talk to your son like like i'm mad at my dad i want to talk to him because and you should talk to your son because like family is the most important thing because like like, like, it's overwhelming me like like a child's wisdom you know yes yeah i think they were a lot they rely on that a bit much um Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe i'm being cynical but uh here's your favorite part having rigged the townhouse with booby traps specifically the word booby um kevin arrives at the toy store during Harry and Marv's robbery, takes their picture and breaks the store's window to set off the alarm. Like that's pretty slick of him. I remember, like you that's know, pretty, that, 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 that's him just immediately just shitting on him. Like, come get me, you know. Mm-hmm. Like in the first movie, he's in defense mode, but now I feel like he's in like offense mode a little bit. Like he knows he's like, let's like go fuck with these guys, you know. It's like I have like the city of New York as my house now instead yeah. of like I have like my house and the treehouse and my neighbor. Oh house. yeah, like he is totally on offense against these guys, mm-hmm. and uh, and I love it. like we obviously don't know like why Harry and Marv steal. You know, I think like that Roger Ebert review, like maybe some reviews posit that like they're desperate for money for whatever reason. I mean, the movie doesn't go into it. They're flat ass villains, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they sell that really well. Um, um, he then lures them to the townhouse where they spring the traps and suffer various injuries. Oh, like, is that really this, like, I, 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 like, I don't know. Like, I, like, I really wish, you know, they, they spent all the other time doing that, but like, to miss kind of the, the, the juicy details of that action kind of lets me mm-hmm. down a little bit. I mean, what are some of your favorites? Uh, I would say like dropping the, dropping the, the is it tool, cement? The, uh, is that or the tool trash fall? Or is that in the first one? You know, the, the, That's that, a, that might be the, the first one. Trash. Yeah. But I think, but like he like drops like a heavy bag of like something onto them. Oh, There's, the tools. It's tools. Like oh, just, like, is it's it? like it's like loose tools, like wrenches and stuff, mm-hmm. like stuff that could cause probably traumatic brain injury from that height, you know. So uh, probably like concussions for sure. If oh anything. yeah, um, that um, the Marv shocking thing is obviously iconic. I think Marv falls through multiple floors, like you know they get a lot of paint on them in this one. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of paint there. Remember he drops. Uh, or I think in both of these he drops paint games. It's these sort of swinging projectiles on these strings and obviously the electrocution scene. Um, I remember Harry um, also gets blowtorched again. Um, and then whenever he, uh, he gets blowtorched in this bathroom and then he like, there's a toilet in the bathroom and that, that I think Kevin is filled full of lighter fluid. And mm-hmm. he like does like a head stain on the toilet to put his head in the toilet, thinking it's just water that it's going to put the fire out. But like the light, like the lighter fluid, like lights it. And I think it like cuts away and you just see like to a shot of the house, you see like a big flame. And then after that, you see the result where his face is all blackened and, you know, his, his um, beanie is just like completely fried around his head. Yeah. And he looks stupid. Um, so that, that was another highlight. Uh, obviously the, the classic brick throwing, 
you know that's kind of always at the end of it um so I, I get that beat for beat thing you know like there's some twists in this there's like i said a lot more wanton destruction because it's a home under repair and like i think mar falls through multiple floors at one time mm-hmm. yeah but um so um after after that while the duo searches for kevin outside the townhouse he calls the police and leads harry and marv into central park where they capture him remember he slips on ice yeah, or does like a sh- sh- like a big swirly thing. Um, as Harry holds Kevin at gunpoint, remember the gun's real o- oily. Mm-hmm. The pigeon lady intervenes, tossing a bucket of birdseed onto Harry and Marv, who are both like covered with like paint and oil, like some sort of like you know sticky substance. Some sort of adhesive. It's some sort of adhesive, um, attracting a massive flock of pigeons that incapacitates them. Kevin then sets off fireworks, which I pre- I guess he bought them with his dad's credit card. <laughs> beforehand or maybe they were they were there I don't know how Kevin got the fireworks but he, that's what he does to signal the police who scare off the pigeons with the gunshot and arrest Harry and Marv at the toy store Mr. Duncan finds a note from Kevin explaining the robbery the family arrives in New York and Kate remembering Kevin's fondness for Christmas trees finds him making a wish a wish at the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree it's a bit much for me you know like um yeah that's a little too campy yeah, yeah. For, like, this cynical movie. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just, like, Kevin loves Christmas. I feel like Kevin would, like, not, like, absolutely adore Christmas based on what happened last time. Like, I feel like it would be, like, you could still have your cake and eat it, too, while having him be a bit more, like, tepid toward uh, toward Christmas. Um, maybe even having him be a little cynical in this movie and have, having, like, the bird lady be the one who gives him the advice um but on christmas day of course a truckload of free gifts arrives at the McAllister's hotel sent from a grateful mr duncan which apparently he's got a fuckload of money but whatever kevin reconciles with his family and goes to central park to get the pigeon lady the second turtle dove cementing their friendship and thus ending the story of kevin McAllister. uh it's been chronicled over two movies uh yeah, like I said, it's it, it's fun, um, you know. Like I think, kind of just the, the 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 fun of it, and like you said, the overwhelming Christmas spirit and all that theme, kind of sort of overwhelms things that I I would say are larger than nitpicks a little bit, you know. Um, but you know, I think overall, still, you know, like if it's on TV, you know, and if it's like Christmas time, like I'll watch it, you know. Like, I'll watch, like, Christmas Vacation. I know that movie's just fucking... I mean, that one, I think, is a little bit more realistic than... than I, I don't know, realistic, but just more true to Christmas than that. I don't know. I, 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 I've always loved that one a lot, but... Uh, what else we got? We got the production. Do you want me to go into that? Yeah, sure. Deeply. Uh, in February 1991, the Los Angeles Times reported that John Hughes was to sign a six-picture deal with 20th Century Fox among the projects was sequel to Home Alone in May 1991. Col- Colkin was paid 4.5 million plus 5% of the gro- film's gross to appear in the sequel compared to the 110,000 for the original. The production budget was 28 million. So he made his parents so, a lot of money. money. Yeah. Principal photography took place from December 9th, 1991 to May 1st, 1992 over the course of 144 days. The film was shot in Winnetka, Illinois, O'Hare International Airport in Chicago, Everton, Illinois, and New York City. According to the director, Chris Columbus, Donald Trump, the owner of the Plaza Hotel at the time, allowed the crew to shoot scenes in the hotel lobby in exchange for a cameo in the film, in addition to the standard fee for film productions. Columbus said that Trump had, quote, bullied, end quote, his way into the film. Columbus planned to leave the scene out, but he kept it in as test subject. Uh, test audience cheered when Trump arrived. Uh, that's that's weird. Uh, Culkin later himself later endorsed a petition to edit out Trump's cameo in the film in 2021 when he replied to a tweet asking to digitally replace Trump with an older rendition of Culkin. If you look at those um, footnotes attributing, both of those articles are from 2020 and 2021. So both of those are. Uh latecomers to the party there you know they 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 did feel the need to kind of like distance themselves from his you know brand of bile and shittiness yeah yeah uh, 
John Williams returned to score Home Alone 2. While the film featured the, fir- the first film's theme song, Somewhere in Memory, it also contained its own, own theme entitled Christmas Star. Two soundtrack albums of, of the film were released on November 20th, 1992, the film's date, uh, release date, with one featuring Williams' score and the other featuring contemporary Christmas songs featured in the film. Ten years later, a two-disc deluxe edition of the film's film score soundtrack was released. Cool. Uh, um, well, yeah, let's get down past the soundtrack. I kind of, you know, I yeah. mean, uh, ooh, uh, release marketing. Numerous video games based on Home Alone 2 were released by THQ, not THC, which you're so fond of, for such systems as the Sega Genesis, Nintendo Entertainment System, and the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Game Boy and personal computers mostly in late 1992. A separate handheld game was released by Tiger Electronics, like the maker of shitty shit. Uh, numerous board games were also released, some based around play cards, while another was a close simulation of the classic master. That actually sounds kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the next thing, um, you know, talking about um, uh, just uh, stuff to buy from the movie. The Talkboy cassette recorder was produced as a tie-in for the movie by, Ti- oh my God, Tiger made that? I don't know if you ever played it, like in, like in the 90s, like you would get like gifts at a birthday party, which would be a Tiger game, which like, are the most watered down versions of like super Nintendo games, but they're on like this little handheld thing. And it's just a flat background with these little like black figures, like only Mm -hmm. able to move in certain directions. Um, So Tiger made that based on specifications provided by John Hughes, the movie studio. So, wow. The talk boy cassette, like that was a, that's a motherfucking plot device, bro. Mm -hmm. Like how about that? Um, and uh, sold particularly well after the film was released on home video. I remember someone having that. You know, your additional promo partners include American Airlines, who fuck shit up and make the McAllisters their trip on two Boeing 767 200s, Coca Cola, Jack in the Box, Hardee's, and, and Roy Rogers, which is apparently back. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, released on home video, 19, July 27, 1993. DVD, October 5th, 1999. Blu-ray, October 6, 2009, and a collection pack with the OG, October 5th, 2010. Um, oh, wow. Film was reissued again on DVD and Blu-ray on October 6, 2015, alongside all five Home Alone franchise films titled Home Alone 25th Anniversary Ultimate Collector's Christmas Edition. Got to have that, don't you, Mike? Right. Uh, box office. Uh, you know, I think I think we talked about that. Uh, the critical response. I think we can kind of maybe dive dive into this a little a little bit more. Yeah, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of thirty five percent based on fifty seven reviews, with an average rating of four point five out of ten. The site's critical consensus reads: a change of venue and a more sentimental and more sentimentality and violence can't obscure the fact that Home Alone Two: Lost in New York is a less inspired facsimile of its predecessor. On Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 46 out of 100 based on 22 critics, in indicating mixed or average reviews. Audience polled by Cinema Score gave the film an average, a great average grade of A minus on an A plus to F scale. Yeah. So, I mean, like, people like it and critics don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think critics do like, you're next to Roger Ebert, two out of four cartoon violence is only funny. Like, I feel like this was before, like, people sort of, accepted violence as exploitation and just sort of like like before like like maybe around the time like Mortal Kombat happened and like cartoon violence sort of became a thing that people cared about a lot in the moment but now people are just kind of like eh you know whatever like the most popular movies are superhero movies where like people shoot blue lasers and punch each other a lot you know like Batman doesn't uh doesn't get faced by like bullets yeah um so again, a lot of people looks here, you know, without going too deeply into it, criticize the sentimentality and the violence. I can see the criticism of the sentimentality, not the violence, though. You know, um, but but yeah, um, I don't know. I, I think um, you know, after reading this, kind of my opinion, I feel like just you know, I I, I feel a little bit more resound in it you know like i like this movie like i get like how it's you know 
repeats the first one's formula and it just kind of um, is a little bit like, like too sentimental for its own good. Like, like, you know, like mm -hmm. Kevin's goodness is not really challenged outside of spending his dad's credit card, you know, and it kind of wipes away like the, the lessons learned from the first one. It might as well just be a, a reboot or, 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 a you know, something like that, but I don't know. Um, you know, I think especially, you know, talking about the Wikipedia as an artifact here, like, you know, these critical receptions, I think, are, you know, born of their time. I think if this film, you know, if this duology came out in the modern day, people would like it because it's, you know, it, it leans into what worked well in the first one. You know, like, and I think, like, the benefits of that outweigh the costs of someone criticizing you of repetition. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if this film came out in like 2012, mm -hmm. like like the critical, I think like the like the idea of like film criticism too is like kind of dying out because like everybody because like even this is kind of like film critiquing, yeah. uh, even like in a broad sense. So like the idea of like harshly critiquing a movie, kind of like goes with like a general vibe like. Uh, like, remember when, like, Suicide came out and, like, everybody was just, like, shitting on it because everybody was shitting on it? Like, it was, like, the, the thing to do was, like, to make fun of a movie yeah, because it was bad because everybody else was. I think, like... Well, and to nitpick it and not try to see it for, like, it's, like, what it's, what it's trying to do. And I know what this film mm -hmm. is trying to do, and it does it, you know, mostly pretty well, albeit, like, a little, like, just a little more force than the first, you know, there's just the right. change of setting, you know, but, uh, and there are some things I think that it, that it does better. Like, like I said, the, the, the Tim Curry and Rob Schneider trying to figure out going on like that, that humor plot is way better than the, the John Candy, the polka polka, you know, like the, the budget rental car bullshit. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I think if this came out now, like that 4.5 would be more of like a 6.5, mm -hmm. you know, I think, it, I think it would, it would definitely be, above the 50% level while the first film still, you know, would remain a classic based on its originality. Um, right. And I think like the, like the overall audience response is only going to grow as its audience gets older and new audiences find it because like, this is like a kid's film. So like, you know, I wasn't born when this movie came out. So like, I, I've only seen it kind of in, in a retrospective way where yeah. like somebody like Roger Ebert saw it live. And he's yeah. comparing it to other movies made around that time. But like, I'm comparing this kind of to my nostalgic point of view of this movie. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I, 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 I like, I, and like, I think like that, like, you know, from what you like, from what you get from it without like being separated from that, you know, speaks to this movie's reputation more than the, the, the first paragraph, the, the, um, the first two paragraphs of the critical response thing. You know, I, I, I really don't believe the 35% in terms of general audiences. Um, I guess a couple of fun things. Oh, my God. So there's a novelization, a novelized by Todd Strasser, published by Scholastic in 1992. Mm -hmm. The Point version, which have the same storyline, was novelized by A.L. Singer. And an audiobook version was released, read by Tim Curry. Pretty cool. That actually sounds nice. And also Harry and Marv have last names. Harry Lime and Marv Merchants. Well, that's something. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my God! So look at the at the novel. Look, this is cool. At the novelization of the first one, the McAllisters of an Oak Park, Illinois, and the crooks are named Harry Lime and Marv Merchants. The novel also takes place one year after the events of the first film, but the ages of Kevin and his siblings are given as being two years older than the first film. They couldn't find a good editor, huh? Um, but in the beginning of the novelization, a prologue, which ends up being Marv's nightmare in prison. He and Harry sneak away from the cops and return to Kevin's house to seek revenge on Kevin. Kevin bolts into the garage with Marvin, Harry, and hot pursuit. Harry and Marvin end up triggering extra traps that Kevin had set up in the garage. Kevin watches as Marvin ends up triggering a trap where a running lawnmower falls on his head. This is a trap featured in Home Alone 3, citation needed. Um, that is a lot. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, that adds a little bit of, like, you know, depth of Harry depth. and Marv that, that, yeah. that, that, that they've been scarred by this that is obviously not in the movie at all you mm -hmm. know like, like I said they, they didn't learn see that would be dark movie. that then I would agree with Roger Ebert that this was like a dark tone 
Yeah, that 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 he is almost like bullying, like, like you know, like 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 taking advantage of their trauma. Then yeah, like they're 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 tormented by the memory of like their greatest failure because like before this they they hadn't been caught like they were person like they were impersonating policemen. They were like going around house to house like they were like they were untouched before mm-hmm. Kevin came into their lives. So like this is like their greatest failure, yeah. and like then on top of that, like adding insult to injury uh upon injury like they're they're completely physically abused basically yeah in like way more ways humiliated uh, yeah yeah um no and it's it's great um man like and, and those two like they break out of prison just to do more small-time robberies mm-hmm. you know like like not to nitpick but uh you know I, I think obviously the movie couldn't make them like serial killers or Something worse. They want to kill Kevin. Well, I I think the later movies um, have like people committing more like white collar digital crimes than like robbing Duncan's Mm -hmm. toy chest. So I (laughs) guess you can raise the stakes a little bit through that, you know. Um, But and I guess they couldn't make them drug dealers either. You know, they didn't want them to be like a family movie with making them drug dealers, so you couldn't do that. So yeah, you know, like petty petty thieves, you know, is what we're dealing with. And Sue was traumatized, and I'm traumatized by having to read all that. Um, yeah. But are you traumatized by listening to this episode? Because you should uh, you should check us out next time for when yeah. we talk about another movie somehow connected to this one. Yeah, where are we going? We're not we're, we're stopping the Brenda Fricker train because she was in My Left yeah. Foot, the movie where uh, I think um, I think we're going more for Rob Schneider. Yeah, let's or go Tim for Curry that. Cook. Let's go for uh, Rob Schneider. Let's do the the the, the Deuce Bigelow. Hell uh, yeah! Because I've never seen that one. I've never I've never should seen we either watch, of those. Should, so should we watch it or no? I don't want to because like or that like one of us should watch it to to fill the other one out to have more context. Don't you think? Maybe I don't know. Like 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 <laughs> possibly. I kind of we'll like the idea that, that 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 we're going into one completely blind and that mm-hmm. we're just and that that this is truly the primary text for us outside of a trailer. And Rob Snyder's okay. reputation. Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Cool. Well, from us here at Beaumont Reads Wikipedia, make sure to uh, to check us out on all the socials, if we have those by this time, which I think we do, uh, at we have all, Bo we have all, Reads Wiki we have all on the anti- Twitter. We have all the anti-socials, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, bye. See ya.